Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. Again, welcome to Simple Church. My name's Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here. We are so glad that you guys decided to join us this morning on this uh, beautiful, potentially rainy. Is it raining out there yet? Anybody that came in later after service started? It looks like it is going to rain something fierce out there. You know what I mean? So we say when people are from the south, and I'm, I'm not really from the south, but... It's going to rain something fierce. Anyway, welcome to Simple Church. If it is your first time here, uh, you need to know that I'm an absolute goofball and I'm going to get my water. Excuse me, but uh, welcome today. If you're our our first time guest here with us today, we want to welcome you and say that we're so glad that you're here. In fact, can we show some love to our guests, please? Give them a round of applause and welcome them today. Thank you for being here. Somebody probably forced you or bribed you to be here today, and if they compelled you and said, I'm going to buy you lunch, you make sure you cash in on that afterwards. And also, um, for our guests, if somebody promised you that, ask them if they'll pay for me too. I'll come with you, okay? I'm just saying. I'll get in on that anyway that I can, because I like to eat. I have, a, I have just a quick question. For those of you that were here last Sunday, how many of y'all had Chipotle after service on Sunday? All right. What, what? Yeah, there's a few of you, huh? There was like this, this subtle thing. If you weren't here last Sunday, look, you just need to be here every Sunday. That's all I'm telling you. If you want to know what's going on or listen to the podcast and you'll understand, you will want Chipotle. That's all I'm telling you. Fair warning. If you have eaten, get ready to be sick because you're going to eat again. You'll have Chipotle after you listen to the message. So anyway, welcome to week two. We are in a series called Heroes, God of the Underdog. And, and today we are going to look at our very first underdog and... Um, this, this whole concept of the underdog is, is something we're really familiar with here in Ohio. When I say that, I'm going to say two letters and you're going to know what I mean. O-H? Right. We were the underdog last year, right? We went into this whole season going, man, you know, we've lost. We, we're, we've lost to a team that was... We shouldn't have lost to, you know what I'm saying? And uh, last year's season was looking pretty rough. And if you don't follow the Buckeye football game, just sit tight. You'll... you'll, you'll I feel sorry for you. We'll pray for you, but but but, but you 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 have to live like in a hole to not have heard about it. In fact, everybody was down on us. Like all the the broadcasters, the news broadcasters were like, "The Ohio State Buckeyes are not going to do anything. This they're not going to." Mark May, this guy, I don't. That guy, somebody needs to take away that guy's that guy's job, his microphone, whatever. But they were saying the Buckeyes weren't going to do anything. They were the underdogs. They were counted out. No way are they going to win. And what did we wind up doing? Not only did we win the Big Ten Conference, not only did we win the Sugar Bowl, but we also won the National Championship, a team who, by the way, went to their third-string quarterback, right? Like Cardell Jones' job before he took the field for those three, those three biggest games of his life, the three games, those were his first three games that he had ever started for the Ohio State Buckeyes. That he ever started. His, his full-time job was a professional high-fiver. Good job, guys. You guys are looking good out there. Good. This is a guy who is an underdog. So not only do we have an underdog team, but we had an underdog. Cardell Jones, he, he only had a little bit of playing time the year before in 2013. Twice. And he'd only thrown once on the field. 
And this is a guy who had been counted out. This is a guy whose parents are probably shaking their head going, bro, you could be somewhere else. You could be a starting quarterback somewhere else. But he's like, no, I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. I believe in Urban Meyer, and I'm going to be there. And Urban, I trust. This is where I'm going to be. And so he gets his opportunity, and he blows us away. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be our quarterback, our starting quarterback this year. And I'm so excited for that. It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for the Buckeyes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and so... Cardell Jones and the Buckeyes, we're underdogs. We're, we're familiar with this concept. We know what it's like to be counted out. We know what it's like to have negative things said about you and, and to rise from the bottom. Everybody roots for an underdog, right? Everybody loves the underdog. In fact, if I'm watching a game and I don't know who's playing, I'm like, who's not supposed to win? And that's the person I'm going to cheer for, right? Because I want the person that's counted out to win, right? That's why we have so many Bengals fans. No, it's the Browns. Browns fans. Sorry, Bram. I said it wrong. I said it wrong. Forgive me. Browns fans. They just believe that they're going to win, and they're not. You all are some hardcore people. I love you. You're my kind of people. But I'm also familiar with this concept. I was an underdog all my life. I was not really especially great at anything. I was not, you can look at pictures of me. I was not very great looking when I was a kid. We fixed that now. Anyway, um, and I was, I was not great at sports. I was not, I didn't have any talents, I didn't have anything, I didn't start doing magic until I was like 16 years old, and I know you guys don't really consider that a talent, but like, you know, like I, I didn't become a performer known around the world for, my, for my, my material and my products until like later in my life, I had nothing growing up, I didn't know, nobody, I didn't know I had this stuff inside me, everybody counted me out, that's just Aaron, he's a nice guy, everybody signed my yearbook, Aaron, don't change, have a great summer, you know, it's like that, it was, it was, there was nothing exceptional about me. In fact, I played sports. I played soccer growing up, and, and I went, even went to an underdog school. See, we were horrible at everything, right? Like, I, I didn't go to, like, a public school where, you know, somebody had a name. Like, we, I went to a private school. I went to a Christian school out in the middle of the cornfields. And so well, this is like an underdog school, you know? There was, there was, I graduated 10th in my class. Oh, I know, that's impressive, right? She goes, wow, did you see that? She goes, wow, there was 20 kids in my class, okay? So I was like... <laughs> Right in the middle, <laughs> right in the middle, don't get too excited. And, and so, like, this is the way it was. There wasn't a whole lot to choose from on our sporting team, so we weren't exactly exceptional, right? And I, I decided I was going to play soccer, but the problem with playing soccer is, and I was varsity, it was great. I could tell people I had the patch for my jacket that I never bought, you know, and... Um, but like everybody got to play varsity. There was no junior varsity. Everybody played varsity. Are you in? Can you kick a ball? You're in. Come on, let's go. And... Uh, and so we, so we played, but my team was horrible. We were underdogs. Everywhere we showed up, we were underdogs. I understood that. The problem was everybody on my team, they didn't really want to play soccer. They just didn't want to have to do basketball conditioning. Because if you played soccer, you didn't have to go through the rigorous training that was the basketball conditioning that made you puke. Man, I watched those kids. They ran forever and then would just throw up and keep on running because they wanted to play basketball. And so I decided I hated being on the soccer team where we were constantly losing. I wanted to know what it was like to win. And uh, so I tried out for the basketball team. And I was out before the tryout was like even over, right? Like I was done. Like, you know, I was like, ah, oh, no, this is good. Those suicides, I was done. I was ready to do that. Like, anybody ever run a suicide? Here. And here, it's like, why can't I just go there? Why do I have to start and go back and forth? Just let me run. And um, those are torture. So I didn't, I didn't play basketball. I didn't make the team because I, I couldn't make the tryouts. And, uh, but I determined I was going to get on there. And I'm an underdog, right? Underdog's going to make it. We're going to do it. People can count you out. You can be counted out of the tryout, cut off the team. And I was still going to be on there. And bless God, I was on that c- basketball court every single game that they played that year. Serious, it's a true story. 
I went as a cheerleader instead. That's true. It's true. I was, you guys are waiting for a punchline. That's true. Welcome to my life. I decided to be one of the first male cheerleaders at my school ever. And then, you know what? I showed up on the basketball court, and when nobody looking at the basketball team, they were like, look at that guy. He's over there. It was one of two of us. Look at that guy. And then all the other cheerleading squads, we want guys on our team. I don't know why I'm telling you that story. Oh, I was an underdog. I was an underdog. And I think, uh, I think, uh, and as the underdog, guess what? I got the girl, right? I went, I went to, to the prom, the, my high school prom with the head cheerleader that year, and, and, and I was a true underdog. And I think there's a lot of people in this room, you, you relate to that story. You, you probably look at your, across your life, you know, you, you think there's nothing exceptional about yourself. Maybe your talents and gifts have been squashed by, the, by other people that are in the, the limelight around you, and, and, I, and, I, and I completely understand that. But what I want you to know is that God roots for an underdog. Because I think in some area of our life, and whether you're successful in one area or not, there's some area of your life that you feel like an underdog. But God roots for you. In fact, God chooses underdogs on a regular basis to change their world. To change, to make a difference in the world around them. But for us as underdogs, we have to overcome underdog excuses in order to take on that role of hero in our world, okay? And so today we're going to look at our very first underdog, and uh, here's what I want you to walk away with, okay? Here, here's what you, if you get nothing else, if you're taking notes, grab your, your, those connection cards and write this down. You have permission to believe that God wants to use you in a big way. You have permission today to believe that God wants, you, wants to use you in a big way. So we're going to talk about King David today, okay? Now, King David was one of the greatest kings of Israel ever, ever, like hands down. He led the people to follow after God. He led them in times of peace, and even when they were in battle, he won. He was a great king. He led with wisdom. David wasn't perfect. He made his mistakes, but he was still one of the greatest kings. In fact, at the end of his reign, people still said there's nobody ever like David. In the New Testament, they talk about David and said David was one of the greatest kings. He's a man after God's own heart. To me, that's somebody worthy of being my hero. And he was one of the heroes of his day. And uh, David in particular, before though, before he was King David, before he was the giant killer David, he was just little David. He was just a shepherd boy. There was nothing exceptional about him at all. And so during his time, let me give you a little bit of backstory for, for David, because David, I think, is not too different from you and I, okay? And so during David's time, or just a little before, God was the people's king. He led them. He had prophets who, lead, who would lead them and he put priests in place who would lead them and guide them through the laws and guide them through how they were supposed to live their lives. But the people, as they got established in Israel, started looking around at everybody and said, you know what, they've got a king. Everybody has a king except us. And God says, no, I'm your king. I'm going to lead you. I will be your God. I will be your king. You need to look to me. And that worked for a time, but the people continued to grumble. And they said, we want a king. And God said, you don't want a king. If you have a king, he's going to use your sons and daughters. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your lands. They said, that's okay. We want a king. And so God obliged them. And he, he called Samuel, one of his prophets, and he sent him out to find Saul. And Saul was a tall, handsome guy. He was head and shoulders above the rest of them, right? He's a big guy. He's a, he's, he's a strong guy. He's a warrior. And they anoint him as king. But there was a problem with the way that Saul led the kingdom. See, Saul followed after God. He listened to him kind of like a Katy Perry song. 
Well, he's hot, then he was cold. He was yes, then he's no. He was in, and he's out. He's up, and he's down. He's right, and he's wrong. He's black, and it's white. He's fight, they break up, they kiss, they make up. But I don't know if that part. But, but he followed after Jesus this way, or after God this way. He would listen to him at times, and other times he wouldn't. He would say okay, and then he would rebel. He would repent, he would get right, and then he'd shift back and forth. And God, at a certain point in time, said, I'm done. I'm going to remove my anointing from you. I'm going to lift my hand of blessing on your life. And that's where we pick up our story. Because God says, I'm going to do something new among my people. And so he calls out to Samuel. And he finds Samuel. And Samuel, Samuel's sitting here, he's, he's a little depressed. Because things are not going well with Saul. And he hears that God is getting ready to replace him. He hears that God has lifted his blessing off of Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And so Samuel is sitting here, he's depressed, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel today. If you need a Bible, by the way, we would love to bless you with one. If you would just put your hand in the air, we'll give you one. We believe that God's Word has the power to change your life. Amen? And so if you need one, just shoot your hand up. One of my service hosts will get you one. But the verses will also, and ta-da, are already on the screen. So we'll be in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 12 today as we tell this story. And so it says, we pick up here and it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel's sitting on the couch. He's depressed, right? Because, see, he was part of choosing Saul as king. And now everything's going wrong, and he feels the weight of it. You know, as a leader in a community, when you make a decision, and that decision kind of goes south, you bear the burden of that, right? You're like, oh, geez. You hide your face. And here's Samuel. He's sitting on his couch. His beard has probably grown out. He probably hasn't bathed in days. He's got a smell about him. And he's depressed. You know that sure sign of depression, right? It's four orange streaks across your belly, right here. Because you've been eating Doritos all day long, and you don't even care what you look like, and you just do this. That is a sign of depression. And this is Samuel sitting on his couch. He is not happy about what's been going on. He doesn't really care about what he looks like, what he smells like. He's, he's depressed. Because he went through that process of choosing the king, and now God wants to do something else. And God's trying to get him up and get him going because God says, I'm going to do a new thing. And as we look at the story of David, I think there are five things that we can learn today. The first thing is that God wants to do something new in our lives. He wants to do something new in your life. He wants to do something new in my life. For the nation of Israel at that time, God said, I want to, do an, I want to put in a new king. But at our time, God wants to do something new in your life that has never been done as well. And you need to believe that today. That God wants to take your life in a whole new direction. Because I believe that. And I prayed this week, as we've dove into this series, I've been praying for each and every one of you as you got here. That God would begin putting fresh vision in your hearts. That he would give you new dreams. That he would give you creative ideas for that new thing that he wants to do in your heart. So I believe today that as I'm talking, he may drop something in your spirit. He may drop something in your heart. Write it down. Because that may be the very thing. That may be my answer to prayer for you and what God wants to do in your life today. I believe that God wants to inspire you with his plans for your life. Maybe some of you already know what those plans are in your life. You've already got an idea. Maybe you've been afraid to utter those ideas because they scare you a little bit, right? But I believe that God has given you a dream inside your heart, maybe for your family. Maybe you're looking at your cross your family and you're like, you know what? I came from a broken background and I don't want my family to have that. I want a life for my kids that is way different from what I experienced. You've got this idea in your mind. You may not know how to go about it. You may be a little afraid to do it. 
Or maybe it's a business idea. There's been this stirring in your heart for a business idea or, or this, this concept that you just think might work and you've, you've just been holding on to it. Or maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've got a dream and a vision. I have a hope that on my 50th anniversary with my wife, I'll be able to kiss her that day. That's what I want to do. I want to do that. And so my whole life is being laid out so that I can make it to that goal. Maybe you've got a dream for your marriage. Maybe it's your personal finances. Maybe you're sitting on a mountain of debt and you're like, man, I really, I really want to see that debt eliminated. Or maybe you've got a ministry idea. Maybe you look at a group of people that are hurting or you see a group of people that have a need and you're like, I need to do something about this. And God's put something in your heart. You know what those dreams are. You know what it is. God's already given it to a lot of you. Whatever it is, I believe that God is putting new ideas in our hearts and our minds, and he's stirring us up because he wants to do something new among us. He wants to reach new people. He wants to pour out his love in new ways through you and me, the underdogs. I believe he wants to do that today. So what if it's you? What dream do you, are you, has God put in your heart that you're having trouble believing in today? So we pick up Samuel again. Samuel's depressed, and God tells him to get up, shower. He says, let's go. And look what Samuel does. The first thing he does. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. He'll kill me. Samuel starts to offer excuses because he's afraid. And let me tell you, the second thing that we can learn through this is that new things always come with fear. New things always come with fear. He instantly fires back, hey, don't you understand There's already a king in place. See, the problem is is that you're the invisible God. And that's the problem because people wanted to see a visible person. And that visible person is Saul, and he's currently the king. And when that king finds out, that linebacker guy, the really tall guy that you put in place, you know him, the warrior, when he finds out that I'm going and anointing another king, he's going to kill me. Fear strikes his heart. And I got to tell you, if, like, if I were to insert myself into that conversation in that moment, and I was p- allowed to be part of that, I would have been like, God, actually, it had been like this. Hey, God, I think he's right. He's going to kill him. You know what I mean? Like, I'd have been afraid. Like, he's, it's true, though. I'm going to get on Samuel's side. It's true. He's afraid. And getting a new king was the right thing to do. But the existing king wouldn't like it. And fear grips Samuel's heart. And let me tell you something. No good thing ever comes without fear. Fear is that constant companion in our lives. The minute we set out to become more than we are today, to do something that we've never done before, fear always goes with us. It does. And I'm going to tell you tenderly and lovingly in the same way that I tell my children. It's okay to be afraid. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. That's called courage. When you're in the face of something you're afraid of and you do it anyway you got to do it because fear is always going to go with you. And because fear is inevitable in our lives, it doesn't mean that we need to be controlled by it. Fear is polarizing. It means we stop in our tracks. We do nothing. We sit and we let that dream die. And the temptation for all of us is to make excuses as to why God couldn't want us. To think that it's impossible that he could use us. But I think there's, there's quite a few of you in this room that have allowed fear to choke out that God-given dream that he's given you. Some of the things that we've talked about already, some of the dreams that you have, the visions you have for your future, the plans that God has put in your heart, you've already begun to choke them out because you're afraid, well, I don't or I can't, I don't have the resources, I don't know. Let me tell you something. I'm going to challenge you. If you've got your connection cards out or a piece of paper or you're taking notes on your phone, write down what it is you're afraid of, do it. And then right next to it, God is bigger than this. Because he is. 
If God has called you to it, he will get you through it. There is no need to be afraid today. And I believe there's plenty of you that are afraid today that God has said it is time to break those chains of fear. It is time to stop being afraid of what God has put in your heart to do. So here's Samuel offering excuses and here's what God says. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. That seems like a strange response, right? I mean, like, isn't that right? Cows solve everything? No, that's not right. But God has a plan in the face of, 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 of Samuel's excuses and his fear. God has a plan. He says, take a cow. We're going to go because that's what they would do. They would sacrifice a cow. This was a sacrifice of worship. He, said, he basically said, go to them and put on a church service. Go find, go, go to Jesse in Bethlehem and say, I've come to sacrifice. I'm putting on a church service. That way you can do what I've told you to do underneath the guise of this church service. So, so God gives Samuel a plan in the face of his fear. And it, it, he continues on. It says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. See, he doesn't even tell him what he's gonna, what's going to happen. He says, just go put on this church service. Have a worship team there. We're going to have an awesome time and then I'll show you what to do from there. Samuel's got no idea. Talk about faith. Does that sound like you in your life and the dream that God's called you to do at the moment? And if you've ever done anything new, you know that you step out there, you have no idea what you're doing. Tim Toole, our Connect pastor, told me, he said, Aaron, you know what I love about you when we first started this church? He said, you have no idea what you're doing and you're happy with that. I said, yes, I am. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm following him. (laughs) Samuel's the same way. God doesn't give him much else. I told you to go. Now go. And so Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. All right, here's the breakdown, what that just said. Samuel rolls into the town and the people are scared. Why? Well, the same reason when you're obeying the law, driving the speed limit, you drive down the road and you see a police officer, what do you do? You immediately... You tense up. Why? You're obeying the law because you're not really sure. You check your speedometer. You check your seatbelt. You're like, you, you're obeying, but the presence of authority makes us check ourselves, doesn't it? And Samuel's the prophet. Now, the prophet could come with good news or he could come with bad news. And a lot of times they came with bad news. They came with rebuke. They came with fire. They came with brimstone. Man, they were coming with the word of the Lord. And so Samuel shows up and the people, the elders of Bethlehem are freaked out. Why are you here? Do you come in peace? Like, Samuel's like, yes, I come in peace. I'm, I'm good. I'm here to do a sacrifice. So he basically tells him, he says, hey, I need you all. We're going to have a church service tonight, and I need you all to go home and consecrate yourself, which is, which is basically telling him, go home and bathe. Like, clean up, right? Have you ever been in a, in a tight space with people? Like, can you imagine this room packed with people that had not bathed in a while? Right. So Samuel's like, I'm putting on a church service. You all go home, consecrate yourselves, and bathe. And we'll come back. See, I, 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 I've been on a, on a Greyhound bus before. And if you've had the pleasure of being on a Greyhound bus before, you know there are people that get on there that they just have not, they have not bathed in a while, right? And we're talking about a narrow space, and they probably want to sit close to you. You know what I mean? Like that person who's not only in their seat but insists on being in your seat as well, or somebody wants to stand there and throw their arm up against the window, and you're sitting right behind them, and the air conditioner's blowing right here. You know what I'm saying? And that smell is just not pleasant. 
I'm, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying I've experienced it. It's not great. So I understand why Samuel said go home and take a bath, right? And then he reaches out to Jesse's family and he says, by the way, I'm inviting you to this church service as well. You're going to have VIP seating in the front row. We'll give you backstage passes. All the elders are coming and you're coming. You're our guest of honor. And so, so everybody, everybody gets ready. Everybody cleans up and comes back that night. They have a great service. The sacrifice is made. They worship. Samuel probably did a little bit of preaching. And they had an amazing night. And now it's time for Samuel to do what God called him to do. And that's to anoint the new king. And so it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel's ready to anoint this new king, and he looks out and he sees Jesse's oldest. It's Eliab. And he assumes, because it would have been customary, it would have been appropriate, that the oldest son was the one to be taken. He looks at him. He's a warrior like like Saul. He's tall. He's good-looking. He's strong. And he says, surely this is is who God's going to anoint. But God stops him right there and says, no, that's that's not who, who, who I've appointed. He turned him down because he was looking at Eliab's heart. He says, I'm not looking at how he looks on the outside. I've, I've got a guy in place who looks good on the outside. I'm looking for a guy whose heart is right with me. And God stops and turns him down. And here's what I think we need to learn from this is that, that God's plan is always different than our plan. It's always different than our plan. What we think we're going to do is always different than what God has in mind for us. Samuel thought he knew the plan, but he stepped in and shook up his plans. And I think a lot of us are here, we're just like Samuel. We've got a plan for our life. In fact, a lot of you went to high school and and, and even to college, and coming out of those things, you were taught by a guidance counselor to have a five-year and a 10-year, maybe even a 25-year plan. And all of you can look back across your decades or across your five-year plans and say, man, those didn't really pan out the way I thought they would. I mean, like, I had a plan in place. I was disciplined. I followed these things. But there were things that happened along the way that were out of my control that kind of spun my plan off, off, off the map, off the charts. Whether it's your career that hasn't gone the way that you expected it. Maybe somebody got a promotion that you were expecting. Or maybe, maybe the company decided to close. This happened to my dad. My dad was, was just like a year and a half away from retiring from a company. And a year and a half away, they closed down. His retirement, his pension, all of it, gone. In an instant. Of nothing that he did of his own accord. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe your career has taken a turn that you didn't expect. Or maybe, maybe your finances were in order, but the market took a turn and you lost everything when the market dipped a few years ago. You're like, you're back at square one on your finances, and you're not really sure how to recover. Or maybe you've got a child that you had high hopes for, but today your heart is broken in pieces because of the direction that they're heading. They've made poor decisions. Their life is not going in a direction that's healthy for them. They aren't following Jesus. But just because our life has not gone according to plan does not mean that God doesn't have a plan. In fact, I guarantee you that he has a plan right where you're at, right where your kids are at, right where you're at in your job, right where your finances are at. God has a plan that starts today if you're willing to be part of it. I believe that. And God never takes the path that we think he should take. So I want to encourage some of you, don't push God away because of that. Lean towards him. Push into where, where you're at right now and find out what he's doing right now. There's a lot of you in this room, I'm sure, 
that are even mad at God because your life is not going the way that you planned it. Because your children are not walking the way that you planned it. Because your finances, your job, it's not the way you had planned and you're upset with Him. But I want to challenge you to lean into Him. Find out what He's got. Hold on to Him. Say, Lord, I don't know where you're at in the middle of this, but I believe that you're here. So show me. Teach me. When I consider the, the history of Simple Church, like if you've been here from the beginning, you know that in those early meetings there was, there was eight or ten of us sitting around a room. And we did not have a plan for our church to launch the way that it went. We had big dreams. We had big hopes. We had incredible talent represented in the room. We're like, where are we going to go? We don't know. We went out and knocked on doors and we tried to find a place and every door closed in our face. We, couldn't, we weren't allowed to hold our services anywhere. Some of the strip malls that have been sitting empty, Hooters, the place that, that was down the street, they emptied that place out and we said, hey, we'll take it. They said, nope, we're not going to rent to a church. So they bulldozed it instead. What? <laughs> every door closed in our face and we wound up in a funeral home. Do you think I planned that? Do you think I said, hey guys, can you imagine how that conversation went? Look, this is going to be an awesome new church. We're going to make a difference here in Reynoldsburg and we're going to be in a funeral home. This is going to be great. Everybody's going to love it. That is not the way that conversation went. It was like, hey guys, nobody else has taken us. I, but we've got this, this incredible opportunity and I hoot and holler, like, this is going to be great. And everybody was like, yay. But look at us today. Look at what God has done in our hearts and our lives in this community through Simple Church, through the people here. The lives that have been changed because God's plan is way different than ours. And when you lean into it and go, hey, I'm just going to go with this. Lord, this is not my favorite, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go where you're blessing us. I'm going to go where you're leading us. It's an amazing thing. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world because God's plan was honestly way better than mine. And God is for us, and He is working His plan for us, even when it doesn't make sense for us. And so here's Samuel, he just, he rejects Eliab, and then then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Imagine how awkward this is for Samuel, right? He's been sent to anoint one of Jesse's sons. He shows up in a town and says, we're going to have a church service. He calls the elders. He invites Jesse and says, bring all your sons. And Jesse brings all of his sons and all of them pass in front of Samuel. And not a single one of them is supposed to be the king. You've been sent to do a job and you're like, I'm not even sure how to do this. And then I think it, it, it suddenly dawns on Samuel what's going on there. But imagine how awkward it is for Jesse. Jesse, at this point, we have no indication that he understands his sons are there to be anointed king. We, we don't know. All this is internal dialogue with Daniel and God, right? Or Samuel and God. We, we don't know that he said, hey, by the way, I'm going to anoint one of your kids. Bring them all out. We don't, we don't know. And so his kids are passing in front of him. This is weird. Hey, Abinadab, get on up there. And he goes, nope, have a seat. Nope, have a seat. What is he rejecting my kids for? Why is he subjecting them to this public humiliation? Not good enough for what? But it dawns on on Samuel. I've been called to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And he realizes what he has to do. And so he steps into the awkwardness as if it's not already awkward there in front of him. He steps into it and makes it even more so because I think he realizes 
there's another kid somewhere. There's, an, there's another kid somewhere. God invited me to do this, and I guess, I guess if, if, if this kid is like lame or even dead, we're about to do some miracles because God's going to anoint one of these kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's some faith, and I like that. And so he looks at, at Jesse, and he says, so he asks, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? He says, I'm sorry, but have you forgotten a kid? Like, asking this is like asking a woman, hey, when are you due? Right? Like, you don't do that. You know what I'm saying? If you want to take it to another level, let me just tell you from personal experience, it has nothing to do with the message I just feel like telling you. Don't ever ask, if you do find out a woman is pregnant, don't ask, are you sure you're not having twins? Like, don't do that. I did that because I had twins. I just saw, it, it was a bad thing. Don't do that. It's awkward. It makes everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't do it. But asking, have you forgotten a child, is a horrible question. And what's worse, look at Jesse's response. He says, well, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Anybody here ever played dodgeball? Or, or maybe a team sport at all where somebody was appointed captain. There's two teams. Captains were chosen. They chose everybody, and you were the last one to get picked. How many have ever been the last person to get picked? Okay, so there's a few of you underdogs here in this room. <laughs> that was always me. I was, I'm not athletic. I'm just not. You know? Nobody wanted to pick me. I was a large, slow-moving target. You know what I mean? <laughs> dodgeball, I was out quicker than you could believe. Out quicker than a fat kid in dodgeball, right? Isn't that what they say? <laughs> but this is not that scenario. This kid, it wasn't, David wasn't the last one to get picked. He didn't get picked at all. See, it wasn't that Jesse forgot David. Because how do you forget a kid? Y- you don't. Jesse didn't forget him. Jesse didn't count him worthy enough to be there. He didn't even look at David and say, this is somebody that ought to be with me at this special event. There had to have been somebody that could have watched the sheep to bring David in when he was called, when all the sons were called, but Jesse didn't even consider him worthy. The fourth thing I think we need to learn from this is that there are always going to be non-believers on our path to our dreams. There will always be those voices in your life that don't believe in you. They don't believe that God wants to do something in you. They don't believe that God can do anything through you. Maybe because of your past, maybe because of the decisions you've made, maybe where you live, maybe how much money you have or don't have. Whatever it is, they're they're doubters. Why? Haters going to hate. I don't know what to tell you. And here's David, King David, giant killer David, who had a dad who didn't think enough of him to even invite him in from the field. And there's people listening to me today. And you can relate. You know that voice of doubt in your life. You can probably still hear their voices ringing in your ears. Maybe you're hearing the words of a coach who said that you'd never measure up. Or maybe you're hearing a standard that maybe your parents or a peer put on you that that you can't live up to. Those voices of negativity have held you back your entire life. And maybe they're holding you back now. And I believe that God wants to break those voices of negativity off of your life today. I believe that he wants you to know that he believes in you, that he has plans for you. And you can't even get to those plans because those voices are holding you back. And I think they've held you back for too long. And I'm here to tell you that it's time to let God break those chains in your life once and for all. You have permission to believe that it's 
God that wants to use you to change your world forever. And so Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. See, Samuel says, we're not going to sit down because even then and even today, when royalty enters the room, you stand. You, you stand. And as soon as Samuel realized there was one more son, he knew it was him that was going to be the king. And so from that point on, he started treating him like royalty. We're not going to sit. Isn't that interesting? One voice in David's life didn't even think him worthy enough to be called to the service. And the second one, from the moment he found out he existed, treated him like royalty. Wow, what a difference. What a difference. I want to tell you that no matter what the voices have spoken you over, spoken over you in the past, we serve a God who treats you like royalty. When you read your Bible, you find out that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. And He is sitting on a throne right now, enthroned in glory. And what Jesus did for you and I, adopted us into that kingdom. Look, He didn't give you a pass and say, you get to be here for an hour. You get to be here for two hours. You get to mop the floors in heaven. Because to be honest with you, mopping the floors in heaven would be better than living a life in hell. Amen? But that's not what God did for you and me see when Jesus died and he paid the price he made a way for you to become sons and daughters that means that Jesus is royalty you are royalty and that's how God sees you as royalty some of you need to get this podcast and listen to it over and over this week and get this in your heart you need to understand this you need to know this you are a child of God verse continues he says so he sent for him and had him brought in he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features then the Lord said rise and anoint him this is the one now you you can't just read your Bible you need to read your Bible because Samuel just said they were going to stand until he got there why is God saying rise because when David entered the room Samuel bowed rise anoint him God always chooses an underdog to change the world all across the Bible you will find where God finds people who have been counted out. There's nothing extraordinary about them. And he chooses to do his work through them over and over again. Even the first miracle that Jesus did, he turned water, something ordinary, into wine, something that was extraordinary. This is our God. This is what he does. And David walks in and God tells Samuel to rise and anoint him. This is the underdog that God wanted to use to lead his people in a new direction. And, and for the next 40 years, David led God's people. This is, this is Samuel 16 in chapter 17. Do you know what happens next? David goes out and faces Goliath. They're in a valley and they're, they're at a standstill in a battle with the Philistines. And Saul is there and David's brothers are there. And little David walks onto the field. He's not, he's not been made king yet. He's been anointed king. And a child, a 14-year-old or 12-year-old, walks onto the field and faces Goliath. And even the giant laughed at him and said, you've sent a child out to do your work? And David threw a rock, hit him in the head, and cut the giant's head off. And then he led the people. And David went from being an underdog in that moment to being a hero. Today, I believe futures are going to change. Today, I believe histories change in your family tree. Today, I believe that God wants to do something completely new in your world, and he wants to use you, the underdog, to do it. 
You need to believe that from this moment on, God wants to use you. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm I'm speaking to every heart in this room. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you've never made that commitment before. So Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. Maybe you're hearing for the first time that God paid a price for our sins. See, we were all born sinners. You say, Aaron, I'm not good enough. You don't understand, Aaron. I've lived this life. Look, let me, let me level the playing field for those of you that are in this room. The Bible says that every single one of us are sinners. There is none greater in this room when it comes to the mistakes we have made in our lives. Sin is sin, and all of us sin in different ways, but it is counted as equal. And so every single one of us in this room are looked at equally. And we all have the same choice, the same opportunity to choose the gift that God has given us in Christ. To accept his salvation. To accept the freedom from our past and our sins. To be welcomed into this kingly family. To live a life of obedience following after Christ. You have that opportunity today. If you'd say, Aaron, that's me. I need to accept that. I need to begin my relationship with God. Every relationship begins this way. Whether it's with a guy and a girl or a guy and his best friend. Every relationship that you can look across the world has began with a conversation. That for conversation with God is just the same. We call it prayer. And if you're ready to have that conversation, to begin that relationship, you say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in on that prayer. Would you be willing to shoot your hand in the air and say, Aaron, that's me. Do it now. Put your hand in the air. Thank you. I'm going to give you the words to it. I want you to see. They just, you can say them out loud or you can say them in your heart, but you got to mean it. It's simple this way. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came and you died and you rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven. Transform me. Change me. Take me an underdog and make me a hero for you. Give me your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, I pray for the rest of us. Lord, I speak life to those dreams and those visions and those ideas that you have given us. I rebuke fear and those voices of doubt. Father, I pray that you would break every chain that has held us back. God, I pray that you would release people today, right now, to follow after you, to follow after those dreams, to follow after your plans that you have for them. From this moment on, Give them the strength. Give them the courage to face the fear. Let them in on your plans, God, so that when things don't go according to plan, Lord, they know they can lean on you because you've got a plan. Help us to change this world, Lord. Help us to change, God, so that we can love people in new ways, that we can lead people to you. God, let us make you famous. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the end of every service, we give you opportunity to reflect. This is where you can take out your connection cards. That bottom spot right there is for you or the top part. Maybe you say, Aaron, I'm struggling with the idea that God can use me to change my world. And you need to write that down and ask me and my team. We'll pray with you. Or you say, Aaron, I'm wrestling with this this fear. And name it. Write it down. What is it you're afraid of? Or maybe there's a dream. Maybe you've been too afraid to even speak it or tell anybody about it. Maybe you'd be... Give me the honor of sharing it with me in person or even writing it on that connection card so that I can pray with you, that I can believe God for you, 
that I may be able to connect you with resources to help you move forward in your dream. You see, I'm like the worst kind of friend to have. I'm an encouraging one. You got a crazy idea? Let's go for it. Let's do it. I believe God can do anything. Amen? I look at my life and I know if he can use me, he can use you. He can do it. I'm an encourager. Take a moment. Answer this for yourself and then we'll close, we'll close out the service of prayer. I'd like to like ask to the ask offering the host offering to come, host to come, come up and, and <laughs> collect the tithes and offering, please. Um, so one part really hit me about being called royalty, right? Because I've always felt so non-important that...